0: This is Positive Parenting, parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brot. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brot, the founder of MrDad.com. New parents are almost, by definition, anxious people. And the seeds of that anxiety come in small bundles of unsolicited comments and advice whispered by co-workers, relatives, and a robust media that pumps out unreal images of parenthood. They're morsels of must-haves that no mom or dad can forget, overbearing, if I were you, tidbits from friends, and finally, the hushed and mysterious, everyone who has ever had a baby, challenges that come from the media that brims with pictures of celebrities strolling their newborns through Central Park. Now, don't get me wrong. Not all of this unasked for advice that's coming your way is without merit. You should absolutely buy a safe and convenient car seat and have it installed properly. And yes, you should be thinking about saving money for your child's education. But there are a lot of things that you don't need to do. And in this part of today's show, we're going to be speaking with a pediatrician who's got more than three decades of experience, who's going to help guide us through the earliest moments of your child's life and help us to parent with common sense and confidence. His advice is clear and sensible, and best of all, at least from my perspective, brings in the latest scientific data and research. And it all starts when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin brought after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. Hey, Kevin, thinking about saving for retirement? Yeah, but how do I start? It's easy with Avvo, a retirement coach. Let's learn the Avvo bet. A is for taking action. Not anxiety? No, Kevin, you're going to be fine. You sick? Barely. V is for variety. Huh change up my strategy. Okay. Pose for optimize your savings. Let AVO lead the way. Visit aceyourretirement.org today. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Long ago, you wouldn't think of galloping on a horse while doing calligraphy. And you wouldn't have attempted to ride your bike while typing a letter. Yet you think you can safely operate a multi-ton vehicle while texting? Behind the wheel is no place to multitask. If you want to BRB, drive now and text later. Lives depend on it. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway
1: Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, Noise, and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Bradd. And my guest for this part of today's show is Robert Hamilton, who's the author of Seven Secrets of the Newborn, Secrets and Happy Surprises of the First Year. Bob, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you, Armin. It is a great pleasure to be here.
0: So as a pediatrician, I mean that's who you are, I'm not a pediatrician, yes. you are the pediatrician, what have you seen change over the years that you've been in practice? What's What's new these days? It's
1: a, it's a great question. You know, I, I've been in practice for 35 years. I, I practice here in Santa Monica, California, which is a little bit south of where you're at, I know. And um, listen, over 35, 35 years is, is an entire generation. It's an entire uh you know, uh, from one generation to the next, and it turns out I'm actually getting some of those second-generation uh, babies being born into my practice, uh, children who I took care of from the very moment they were born. Now are having their own children, which, of mm. course, is an incredible delight. But, yes, I mean, what has happened, um, I think that, you know, I, I I think about this a lot. I mean, certainly we have more vaccines. We have more um the, you know, uh, thing, you know, uh, modalities, therapeutic modalities that we can utilize for children. But I think if I really had to say, okay, what is the big thing? I'll tell you what the big thing is. The big thing that it has changed in the last 35 years, and this is for children and for parents, is media, social media, mm-hmm. and, and really um, our telephones, you know, this, the computer that we walk around in our pocket with all the time, that has radically changed our world. In what way? Well, I mean, you know, first of all, uh, everyone's connected. I mean, you can uh, basically, uh, you know, everything that you say can be Googled, and every diagnosis that you come up with and comment to your family, they can kind of go home and read about it that day on WebMD or some other uh, outlet. And so that has, you know, that has been, I think, a good thing for parents. The other thing, too, though, is that, you know, kids are – I'm talking about not babies now, okay? We're talking, I mean, I wrote my book. My book is essentially a, a a compendium of things that happen in year number one. But essentially, I'm talking about beyond that time. I'm running into kids who are, who are spending, you know, too much time looking at a screen rather than, uh, you know, engaging the world.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's, that's probably a very valid thing. I, I think, you know, it's obviously 35 years is, is too short a window to see something in, in terms of, uh, evolution, But I'm kind of wondering, did you ever think about how, whether there will be in, in say, so your, your great-grandchildren's lifetime, something that will change in humans that so, will make us different?
1: Well, you know, uh, I, I, I will tell you, Armin, that I'm not sure if evolution or devolution.
0: Okay, <laughs> we'll start
1: with that. But, I, I mean, I, I look at this and I kind of go, how is it? I mean, more and more... You know, interpersonal interactions are profound. They're very important. And I'm seeing some kids who who are lacking in that. And, um, you know, talking to a person back and forth, you know, I, I have a rule in my office, especially with my teenagers. You know, if they walk in and look. Every teenager I have has got a something. They have a, a smartphone, uh, and they're they're usually with their head down. And they, you know, I kind of walk in the room. And they kind of grunt. I go, "Hello, are you there?" And so I have a rule. You you come into my office, and I look at the mother, and I say, "No cell phones. Turn it off." You know. And so they grudgingly they kind of groan. They ah, you know. And I go, "Yep, got to turn it off." You actually have to look at me, eyeball to eyeball for five minutes okay hmm. and so they we we do that and that's what i do so i don't know i mean I, i'm concerned about the social ability uh armin of our of our kids who are growing up that's yeah. one of the big issues and so if we don't if we can't listen this whole world is about communication i mean if we're not communicating with each other in a, in a very real way then that, that kind of is worrisome.
0: You know, I was wondering from the perspective of, of younger kids, and we're talking about the first year, whether technology is is getting in the way too. And I, I've looked at some studies that uh, pediatricians have been, mm-hmm. anecdotally anyway, there hasn't been a lot, of, a lot of research on it, but anecdotally saying that a lot of very six-month-olds or nine-month-olds who should have pretty good hand-eye coordination by that time right. aren't able to, put a, one block on top of another one because they're so used to putting one block on top of another one on a, a device of some kind where you, all you have <laughs> to do is drag it across a screen right. and balancing something is is much different when you're actually trying to balance an actual object instead of an image of one and uh, have you seen any of that in, in your practice about you the know,
1: I, I muscle? I haven't. Mean, I, I mean, I, <clears throat> I don't doubt that maybe that is happening but I don't actually see it per se. Uh, also, you know, children, but the American Academy of Pediatrics, and I am—I'm all about this, and I tell my—I'm kind of a little bit of a—I uh, a get up on my, you know, my soapbox and, and drive my patient uh, and my parents crazy. But, you know, I tell them, look, no screens for two years. So anyway, and, and I will tell you that the majority of my parents, I have wonderful people in my practice. I want you to know that. If anybody's out there listening to me right now, people, you're great people. But anyway, they're great people, and they and they hear me, and they and they get it, and they, they try to keep their kids away from screens. And definitely, if you're talking about like Tetris or something like that, where they're doing you know this kind of you know that that kind of game, my kids are not playing video games yet. Um, later on, they get into that. I mean, the teenage boys and you know your older kids get into these video games big time. Uh, that is a different dynamic, but not not with the with the younger kids. I mean, yes, if you know, you're totally right. The, the skill set that is required to actually put a block on another block, totally different than the the skill set to move a mouse, right? And put that. I mean, yes, you're developing some fine mill fine you know eye eye hand coordination in a different way, but. Um, Really, you know, the real world is where we want our children to live in, and uh, that's what I encourage for my parents.
0: Well, that gets us into a couple of the, the seven secrets, kind of combining a few of them into the basic idea that for the first little while, your baby doesn't need a bunch of fancy stuff, toys or games or things like that. Your baby just needs you.
1: Right. And, uh, and I, I and, and that's exactly what I write. I mean, in the first month or two. And in, in particular, uh, I tell people the first month, especially that you should have what I call a skin to skin, uh, marathon extravaganza. In other words, you're that child of yours should be attached to your body for a month. Uh, interestingly enough, anecdotally, I just, uh, Got out of the room with a new family. The the baby, but one month old baby, uh, boy, beautiful boy, born in Korea. And I I looked at the mother and uh, I said, Why do you? Why did you have your baby in Korea? She said, Well, because I wanted to take advantage of the one month rule. I go, What is that? And they go, Well, the first month, the. The community of of women in in the the Korean community to kind of surround that new mom and that new baby, and basically allow that mother the freedom to, uh, to not have to do anything like go grocery shopping or do hmm. dishes or any all the domestic stuff that you know moms and people do after a baby's born. They basically are dedicated for that first month to nothing but baby and is such a rich and wonderful thing by the way that is not a a a, an idea you know related only to korea they have that do that they do that all over the world in latin countries they call it the quarantina in the old country in europe they did that too but there is very much a part of the culture over there so and that is the way it should be. It should be mommy and baby and daddy, and it should be that wonderful time for rich bonding.
0: You know, along those lines, I, I was just thinking as I was reading the book and the secret number, that was secret number three about not needing and not needing you. But secret number two is the baby leads the way. No schedules, no programs, just baby. And there, there was a couple down the street from, from us when my first baby was born that were yeah. – the the woman was very much a spreadsheet kind of a person, and she was going to feed those kids at at you know six eight ten twelve. You know, it was going to be at, on her schedule, and she did that. and And I, in some way, admired that. I thought it was it just absolutely was not going to work for me. It just seemed much easier to to do what you suggest, which is just turn your life over to the baby for the first month or so. Yeah. But what do you what do you tell parents about the well I mean the when, benefits I, when I see of, that I say first,
1: first of all good luck with that uh, yeah. you're going to be you're kind of setting yourself up for frustration uh, and really the reality is that having children Armin and my, my wife and I I want the world to know we have six beautiful children they're now grown. But it's wonderful. And, and you know what? It's quite organic.
0: Talking with Robert Hamilton, the author of Seven Secrets of the Newborn. And we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Bob. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy. Your fruitball buddy. Go! Or you, your best man. Your worst man. <gasps> you, your dog walker your cat jogger while one in three adults has pre-diabetes with early diagnosis pre-diabetes can be reversed take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org that's doihaveprediabetes.org Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Pre-Diabetes Awareness Partners. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk.
1: 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack.
0: 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed.
1: It felt like my life was
0: over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation.
1: 180 over 110, and I
0: had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I head to toe. Everything's changed. Head to toe. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armand Broad. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Robert Hamilton, who's the author of Seven Secrets of the Newborn, Secrets and Happy Surprises of the First Year, and wanted to to get over a little bit. You were talking about how that things will kind of take place, and the baby will get into a rhythm, and that all you have to do is... is follow the baby's lead in a way, but I'm wondering about secret number four, which is that solid and healthy families don't happen by chance. They're created with deliberation. Talk us through the deliberative process there.
1: Sure. Um, I think that you know in, the word intentional is such a, a powerful word, and you know you, you yes, there's a certain amount of uh, freeformness that I that we all um, that I, I I like and I like to see, but really when you're thinking about the bigger picture of, okay, you, you are now caring for a human being and this is a incredible, incredible responsibility and this is a good thing. I mean, we're talking about individuals who have been living uh, life uh, single and now they're married uh, hopefully uh, and they're, they have a relationship and they have a child. Okay, well this is a, a deep and profound thing to actually have a life that uh, shares your DNA for better or for worse, <laughs> and now you are now you have a kid. Okay, and I think that everybody out there, and, and I talk to people all day long, Armin. I say, do you want life to be better for your child or worse for your child? They go better. I go, do you want your child to have more opportunities uh, in their life, their lifetime, than you have had, or less? And they go more. Do you want them to be more learned and educated than you are. They go, more. And I go, you're right. That's the exactly right thing. But that doesn't happen to kind of like by casting all care to the wind. You have to kind of think about it. And not in a kind of weird way that you can kind of plan the future the future. You know, as we all know, uh, certainly, in my life, my future has been uh, very different than what I ever thought it would be. Put it that way. Um, but that being said, you can do some. There are some things that you can do, and I think one of the the best things you can do is you need to lay those foundations. And I, I talk about, you know, um, <clears throat> the fact that, you know, I talk about the touchstones. Of a family okay, and in, in that chapter, and i they, they i 'll tell you four of them what the four cornerstones, if you will, of what do we believe, what kind of parents are we going to be? what community do we belong to, and the health care of your child? I think those are very four very uh, important uh, foundations, if you will, of a healthy uh, a healthy uh, family and uh, what do you believe i mean I think that you know, I, I happen to be a, a Christian. I have, happen to believe that there's a God in heaven who loves me and loves my children, and I tell them that. And you may not believe that. You, if, if you don't, if you're an atheist or you don't have a, 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 that kind of sense of, of, of religious faith, uh, I think that's that's yours to deal with. But I think you need to share with them what yeah. you believe. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, right. even if you don't believe in God, you believe in something else. Okay. You want your children, um, you, want your, you want to share your faith with your children. I, yeah. I happen to. Yeah, believe I think God that's, that's important. I have done that very much. So that's kind of cornerstone number one. You start with that. Um, number two, uh, I talked about the kind of parenting you're going to be. Their parents need to be mindful of how they, how they parent. And we we talk about helicopter parenting. These are parents who are micromanaging their children. They hover over them, hence the word helicoptering. And they try to engage their children in every aspect of their life. I don't recommend that. I think that's very uh, deleterious in in the long run. You know, kids have to have a little bit of freedom, and they don't have to have every second of their life scheduled and I see this a lot in, in my practice a lot in l a in general. this is kind of a way people do things with their children a little bit too much so I think that you know having a good uh, balance between uh, obviously you're mindful of your child you want you want to know what they're doing, but you don't have to hover over them all the time mm-hmm. that's for sure. Um,
0: you know, Bob, I, I want to make sure that we get to some other things. So I think that I'm going to leave the the, uh, the remaining two pillars to, okay. to readers to to pick up the book and and figure out what those are. But I, yeah, I do want to ask tell them to
1: pick up the book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yes. that's
0: that's <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's certainly the plenty yes. plenty of stuff in here.
1: Uh, absolutely. let's move on. I think on.
0: You know, one no one problem. of the things that that I do besides radios, I, I teach classes for expectant fathers, and and I tell them at some point in the class that if I could give them a gift and they already get one of my books. That's enough gifts for them. But, um, but I see, you know, the, the, the gift would be that they would allow themselves time to just watch the baby, just look at the amazing things that they're doing without yeah. having to feel to I mean, feel, I, mean, I, mean,
1: I completely agree with you because, you know, the, this is a human, this is a life. And I think if, one of the things that I, I have to tell you that, I, I wrote this in my book, uh, is that I know the day that I'm going to retire is the day I stop to have that sense of awe. When, when my sense of awe goes away, hmm. I know that I'm done
0: that makes sense and and there's a lot to a lot of awe i guess to be. I mean, with just babies just do the most amazing things and to see how they learn and see how they acquire one piece of knowledge and then they use that to build something else. It's it's amazing. And if and if you are not able to do that, if you're worried about the email that just came in or you're worried about a project that you have to do at work or whatever, you're not going to experience the the joy of yes. of being a new parent. And that's, that's right. That that kind of brings me to, to another one of the secrets, which I, I really appreciate as somebody who focuses on dads a lot in my writing. Moms and dads are equally important when raising a baby. That is a message that is so needed, and I've, I've been writing about it for 20 years, and it still hasn't sunk in with a lot of people, that, that dads, okay, they don't have the pregnancy. They don't have the physical connection, but they are just as important, and babies need them in their lives. Talk about that. Yes.
1: Yes, they do. Well, I mean, th- this is kind of obvious. I think if you stand back and look, I mean, uh, first of all, um, um, I have, I do have many moms in my practice who are single moms, and and they, God bless them, they do, they do a, a good job, in, in, and they love their children. But the the goodness and the and the wonder of having a mom and a dad, you know, two people handling this little bundle, it makes life more doable. Okay, and and dads really, you know, listen, in the early stages, they're, they're supporting mom. They're making sure mom is getting enough rest. They're getting food and getting, you know, a little bit of, of a break from time to time. Uh, that's obviously a very big part of being being a dad, being a loving husband, really. But a dad to, a you know, a young baby, listen, straight out, you can bond with that baby, too. And it turns out that the more you engage your child, I mean, men have hormones. Yes, we have The big T we have testosterone flowing through our brain, you know, through our brains, our body and our brains, um, you know, a lot. But there are other hormones out there that can be elicited, namely things like oxytocin, which is kind of like you think about that hormone as being, you know, completely feminine. Well, it's actually not. Men can men make oxytocin as well, and when they spend time with their children, actually they. That the levels of oxytocin actually go up, and you know this, um, Armin. You, you're well aware of that, and that, and you, we men bond to their children too, and it's critical we bond with our children because, in the big p- picture of life, children who have fathers involved in their life simply do better in life, and I, and that yeah, can be that's absolutely 30, true. 20, you can you know the data better than I do, probably. Armin.
0: But you'll go right ahead
1: no you i mean you know that you know these kids they have uh, you know dads you know by just being there and being you know and not being there you know as a mute uh you know piece of wood in uh, at the dinner table but engaging your kids what are you doing what you know what's happening in your life how did school go today i'm talking about that being that kind of being there these kids who have you know come from these families have less Uh, delinquency. They do better academically. They're actually a little bit higher IQ, which is kind of weird, but you kind of go, how does that work? Well, it does work with drugs, with sex, with vaping, with tobacco. I mean, all the vices that we see proliferating kind of around us, the children who have, you know, simply have a mom and a dad who are engaging them, they do better in particular with dads, though, because dads, uh, they do, uh, they have a, they, they they, Give to the children a different dynamic, especially with the girls. I'm telling you, you know, you need uh, a good, strong dad to raise healthy girls.
0: Robert Hamilton is the author of Seven Secrets of the Newborn, Secrets and Happy Surprises of the First Year. Bob, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to have you. And and pick up the book. There's a lot of really great great Great, stuff. very,
1: Very, very kind to have me on. I appreciate it.
0: Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that we can give our daughters everything they need to grow and learn. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armand Brott, and it's time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment. Dear Mr. Dad, my 14-year-old son, who's a high school freshman, is completely stressed out. In the past, he always looked forward to school, but for the past few weeks, he's been saying that he doesn't want to go. What can I do to help him? For some kids, going to school is no big deal. But for plenty of others, like your son, it's incredibly stressful. There can be all sorts of reasons. Is he, or anyone he knows, being bullied, or is he worried that it could happen to him, or if it already did, that it'll happen again? Is he nervous about those annoying standardized tests or having trouble keeping up with the high school homework load? Does he have friends? Is he spending too much time on social media? Is he getting worried about college? Yes, it's early for him, but some kids, especially perfectionists, start getting prepared years in advance. Here are some things you can do to reduce school-related stress talk with him. Actually, this is mostly about you listening. Gently encourage him to explain what he's feeling. That's often enough to alleviate some of the stress. Ask whether there's anything you can do to help, but do not try to solve his problems for him. Wait for him to ask. The exceptions are bullying and test anxiety. Eliminate performance anxiety. As parents, we want our children to excel, and we tell them things like, I expect you to get all A's this year, This puts a lot of pressure on kids, particularly if they're taking a subject they've never had or have had trouble with in the past. Good grades are nice, but is that A really worth putting him under even more stress than he already feels or the hate he'll develop for a subject he might have actually enjoyed if you hadn't pushed so hard? Just ask him to do his best and offer to get him some tutoring or to help, if you're able, if he needs it. Limit screen time. Too many parents pay too little attention to the children's non-academic screen usage. Researcher Stephanie Donaldson-Pressman and her colleagues did a huge national study and found that 45 minutes per day is the most a child can spend before there are any apparent effects on their educational, emotional, and social development. 90 minutes of daily screen time can lower a child's GPA by one grade level. Limit extracurricular activities. In high school, your son's primary job is to be a good student, which includes keeping up with homework and other assignments. Anything else, whether it's sports or music lessons, could add more stress to the mix, unless, of course, it's a stress reliever. Give him plenty of breathing room. Keep the extracurriculars to a minimum until you and your son are confident that he's coping well with school. If so, add activities he's interested in one at a time. Create a learning environment. Kids who have firm rules about media, consistent homework routines, chores, a regular bedtime, and who use a calendar, whether it's digital or paper, to manage their schedule are less anxious and do better in school, says Donaldson Pressman. Don't be shy about calling in a professional. If your son needs tutoring, help him find a tutor. If he's being bullied, notify the school administration. If he has fewer friends than usual or none at all, has lost interest in activities he used to love, is behaving strangely, or is spending an excessive amount of time with his face in a device, consider meeting with a child psychologist. There's no shame in asking for help.